0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of a Trophy Life podcast. I'm your host, Bob Rathbun, here in Atlanta, welcoming you in. A very special guest for you today, uh, a newsmaker of the last couple of weeks and someone that is a dear friend of the Naismith program. And we'll talk to Muffet McGraw of Notre Dame coming up today. Today's podcast is brought to you by Homrick Berg, one of the largest and oldest independent fee-only wealth management firms in Atlanta. Check out homerickberg.com to learn more about how HB has been helping families protect, grow, and manage their wealth since 1989. Well, this week, a pleasure indeed to be speaking with a coaching legend. Muffet McGraw, recently retired as the head coach at the University of Notre Dame, a three-time winner of our Naismith Werner Ladder Coach of the Year Award, winning in 2001, 2013, and 2014. Coached the Irish to two national championships during her run there, winning the tournament in 2001 and again in 2018. And a real trailblazer in women's basketball. She has been at Notre Dame for over 30 years, announced her retirement just a few weeks back. We had a chance to spend some time with Coach McGraw and talk about her career what winning the Naismith Coach of the Year Award meant to her, and a lot about women's basketball and the game of basketball in general. My conversation this week with the great Muffet McGraw. Well, an absolute joy to have Muffet McGraw joining us, a three-time Werner Ladder Naismith Coach of the Year, and uh, shocked us all, Muffet, I got to tell you when we got the word that you were going to step down as the head coach at Notre Dame. First and foremost, congratulations on a magnificent career.
1: Well, thank you. I am really looking forward to the next chapter after 40 years of coaching. I think I'm ready for a change.
0: (laughs) What is the next chapter going to look like?
1: You know, I'm staying on at Notre Dame. I'm going to help out in the athletic department. I will not be working nine to five. (laughs) I'm looking for some smaller role of some special projects that I can assist with. And I'm going to distance myself from the women's basketball program just to let Neal Ivy take over and leave her mark. I I won't be showing up to practice. Uh, I will be the biggest fan in the stands at the games, though. And I'm looking forward to that.
0: Moffitt, I want us to go back... Because the the way that the Notre Dame job came about for you uh, is an interesting story. Take us back, if you will, when you, I, I guess it Matt's urging, to submit uh, the application to get the head coaching job at Notre Dame. Take us back to that story and that time and uh, what it was like uh, thinking like, uh, well, I'll submit, but I probably won't get it.
1: Well, I was at Lehigh University and I loved it. It was my first head coaching job, so I felt tremendous loyalty to the people there. I loved my team. I really, I just loved everything about it. The community was just so supportive. And when the Notre Dame job opened, of course, you know rumors fly pretty quickly, and you hear this person's going to get it or that person's going to get it. And I, I would have loved to have had the Notre Dame job, but my, I, I didn't have the confidence. I think, like most women. The first thing I did was thought of reasons why I wouldn't get the job. And my husband would continually, every day, say, did you send your resume? Have you sent the letter in? You know, what do you have to lose? And finally, without telling him, I, I sent the letter in because, I mean, we'd be on the golf course. But right in the middle of my back swing, we'd say, did you apply? <laughs> so I knew there would be no rest until I sent that in. And when they called and asked me to come out in an interview, I remember when Matt came home and I said, hey, do you want to? go on a trip with me. And, you know, I used to take him recruiting to South Jersey, which was like the big, big trip from Lehigh. And I said, hey, I got to go to South Bend. So, you know, we were so excited to come out. And then, gosh, when I got the job offer, he mowed an N.V. into the lawn. We had the Notre Dame fight song on our doorbell and, you know, on the answering machine. So uh, he was all in from the first moment.
0: Do you remember who called you?
1: Joe O'Brien. Uh, he was the business manager at Notre Dame, and uh, Gene Carrigan was the athletics director at the time, but Joe was the one that uh, kind of ran the search.
0: And did you know Gene beforehand?
1: You know, I really didn't. I, You know, I met him on campus, of course, but uh, really didn't know him before then. And, you know, back then, this was 1987, this is social media, I mean, you really got to search to find things. And, you know, we were kind of quizzing ourselves on the way out, like, what's the capital of Indiana? What, uh, what? What are the school colors? And, you know, just things that you, know, you couldn't just find it so easily. So we were uh, we were kind of prepping for that, but so different than it is now.
0: Could you have imagined 33 years in South Bend after that initial interview and, and getting the job? I mean, it's unbelievable that um, the success that you've had and the, the lives that you've changed – 33 years is a long time at one of the great institutions in the world.
1: Well, and it was such a good fit. When I looked at schools and and other jobs would open, and I just thought, no, I I don't want to wear that that shirt. I don't want to be affiliated with that particular school. I'm looking for a place with tradition, a winning tradition, a place that has a family atmosphere. I've been through Catholic school my whole life, grade school, high school, college, and, you know, I kind of like that atmosphere. I, I was just so excited. The, the one thing that, as you know about me now, is that I'm a, kind of a, a big advocate for women. And coming into a football school that had really just gone co-ed recently was uh, a little more of a challenge than I than I thought at the time.
0: Muffet, at at Notre Dame, um, you've experienced uh, so much, uh, so much change in, in women's college basketball. Uh, the NCAA, had just been a few years into crowning a women's champion uh, at that time, back in the early to mid-80s, to see where it is to date. Uh, Give us your thoughts on on what you've experienced in terms of women's basketball during those 33 years at Notre Dame.
1: Well, the growth has been tremendous. You know, initially, you actually got to choose. Did you want to stay in the old AIAW, or did you want to join the NCAA? So there was it was a year or two, and I think we had two national champions crowned. And eventually, of course, the NCA took over, which was, I think, a really good thing for women. But back then, the crowds were very small. the The newspapers really weren't covering us. We didn't have any games on TV, and we we kind of um, were in obscurity. I mean, just my I know my coaches would say, "Let's recruit kids from big families, and we'll have a chance to get more people in the stands." Um, so we, we had to fight a lot of battles. I mean, we just, we didn't have the credibility. We didn't have any attention. Well, people didn't really know much about us at all. And, you know, in the beginning, most of the coaches were women. When title IX came out, um, most 90% of coaches were women. And now you have 60% of the coaches are men. Um, but the level of talent and skill of the players has improved dramatically Recruiting, you know, there are no more kids that are sleepers or you know nobody saw them. Everybody is is pretty well known. You know, everybody's going after the same the same recruits and the money that has now been put into programs in terms of salaries, in terms of budget, and especially with with travel. You know, the way we travel, I think we're treated in such a first class way. We we would you know the players would drive bands back when I was playing, and when I got here. We still were busing everywhere. We didn't fly places. We were eating at McDonald's. Um, you know, th- things have really changed. But I think the growth um, has been been exceptional in terms of the, the level of play.
0: I wanted to ask you, Muffet, too, about the pros, um, because you have such a unique perspective, having been in those early days and leagues and teams that have, you know, gone belly up and defunct. But now the last 20-plus years of the WNBA – Uh, the girls that you're coaching now don't know a time when there wasn't a WNBA, and how that has affected college basketball and coaching and talent level and skill level, just a little bit about the the relationship between the W uh, and overseas uh, professional women's basketball, too, and uh, the college game.
1: Well, the WNBA has been tremendous for women's college basketball, but I think people don't recognize that I think it's less than 1% of college players are going to actually make it in the pros. And for us, you know, we were always selling the education. There is no, no pro league. You know, you need your education, and then suddenly the pro lib And we're, we're talking about how we can develop you for the next level because that's what kids want. And now they get to turn on TV and see these great players and say, that's what I want to be. And I think it's been... It's just been a great thing. I think getting your education is still very important, getting that college degree, because, you know, you don't think when you're 18 that 30 seems old, and your career may end when you're 30 after playing uh, for almost 10 years in the league. Uh, so I, I think that it's a lot different than the men's because the money's just not there. I mean, the first-round players are making 52000 55000 and that's only the top three or four kids. You know, everything's based on where you're, Drafted, And now they have a new collective bargaining agreement. Some of the players are going to be making more money, so they don't have to go to Europe. But on the women's side, you had to go to Europe to make the money, which meant you're playing 12 months out of the year. You're living away from friends and family overseas, and you may not speak the language or be able to really get immersed in the culture. And your body that's wear and tear for 12 months. It's shortening your career.
0: I have always said that, Muffet. You make such a great point. And I broadcast the WNBA for 10 years and women's college basketball going back to 1978, and I tried to explain to my male friends, I said, guys, you have no idea. When these ladies begin their senior year in college, they don't stop playing, God forbid, an injury until they retire. Because they get on this cycle where they play their senior year, they go right to the WNBA draft, they play the summer in the States if they're lucky enough to make a team, and then it's overseas for another six months, and then they're back, and the cycle starts all over again. And The dedication and the, uh, the stick tootiveness that these ladies have for the game of basketball boggles my mind. I mean, they are just incredible role models.
1: Well, they really are. Bob, you hit it right on the head, though, when you said they play for the love of the game because clearly they're not making a lot of money, and they do just love being out there. You know, they want to be respected, and they want people to look at them. And they're not trying to be compared to the guys in the NBA. You know, it's completely different. They're not trying to get the same kind of contracts and salaries. They just want to be appreciated for what they have. And the women's game is different. You know, we're not dunking. We're not... um, playing the same game. It's not maybe a physical game. But it's a great game. It's a game of grace and beauty, and there's so much to look at. And when you look at the old NBA, I, I was watching some Larry Bird clips um, a little while ago, and you know I thought the old NBA kind of resembles the women's game because there really wasn't a lot of dunking uh, when the league started.
0: And that was the old John Whittle line about the fundamentals of the game being displayed prominently in the women's game than the men's game. Exactly. I wanted to ask you about Muffet McGraw, I think anyone who's been in a leadership position like you have been for so long, particularly at a place that, that nurtures leadership like Notre Dame, the lessons, Muffet, that you learned, that that changed you, that, uh, that shaped you uh, over these 33 years as the head coach, what would you say they might be?
1: Well, I think the biggest thing you learn is that you have to adapt as a coach. You have to be flexible. And you have to understand the women that you're coaching. When I started coaching out here, especially at Notre Dame in Indiana, Bobby Knight was the guy. And everybody knew him for a little bit of a dictatorship and a my way or the highway kind of approach. And back then coaches used to say, I love this kid. He'll run through a wall for me. So when I started, that's that's kind of the way coaching was when I was in college. So you told the players what to do, and they were supposed to go do it. You never asked their opinion. You didn't you know, try to get them to agree with you. You just told them. And that sort of leadership style wasn't going to continue to work. And when we got around to 2000, 2001 um, was our first national championship, and I looked at those players and I thought, I've got to change. You know, I've got to make some changes in the way I'm looking. I've got to ask them more questions. I have to have more of a relationship with the players. You know, it's, it's so important that you have that relationship on and off the court, and that was the first time I realized like I had to change, and and it was hard because I'm from Philly, and sarcasm is sort of our natural language there, and you know I I could be very sarcastic, I could be very tough, very intense, and I think you can still do that. I think you can be demanding and challenge them and be intense, but I think you have to also appreciate you know what they're going through and you have to listen, and that that was that was the biggest thing, and that was the start of it, and then. This millennial generation is very different. They're a very different generation to coach and they wanna know why. You know, people talk about generation Y and like that must be W H Y because that is all they ask is, you know, you can't just say we're gonna do this. They're kinda of like, Oh, why are we doing that? Um, so you really have to and I and I love when, when people ask questions. So that that's kind of my style of coaching now. I'm I'm completely in the Socratic method where, you know, I'll say You know, what do you think you could have done differently there? You know, because understanding that nobody likes to be critiqued all the time and people are hard on themselves anyway. So give them the opportunity to say, you know what? I could have done that better. I could have done that differently. Um, Trying to find those times when we'll watch film and say, what do you think should happen here? You know, how do you think we should do this? And then when we're in practice talking about, we're guarding the ball screen. How's that working for you? Do you like uh, how we're doing this? What do you think about the big hedge as opposed to playing softer? Um, You know, what's your opinion? And I think you build confidence that way, especially in women. They they need to know that you're going to listen to them. And how are they going to find their voice if you never give them a chance to to use it? And so I think I really, boy, I went through a complete shift from, from where I started and now taking into account more about personality. And, and, you know, coaching when I started was 90% X's and O's. It's like what you knew. And now it's 90% psychology. It's how you approach it. It's the relationship you have. And I think that that's a, a just a huge change in coaching.
0: The Gen Ys really do challenge your communication skills uh, in addition to the coaching, because if they're going to ask you why, you've got to have an answer.
1: Yeah. You know, I love that. I love the back and forth. Uh, when when Skylar Diggins came in here, she was one that really changed, changed our culture. And she would text me and say, are you watching this game right now? Because here's what I think. Um, I love the way they're trapping here or pressing or, you know, did you see that, you know, what they were doing. And I love that. And and I didn't—I never felt like I was being challenged. I felt like we're all in this together. If you think there's a better way to do it, let's take a look. So I, I think as a coach, you have to have the confidence to listen and the confidence to be able to say, you know, maybe there is another way to do that. Because as coaches, we kind of get in our own little world there and like, this is the way and this is how we're going to do it. So, um, I, I really I appreciated that and you have to have that buy-in when you're doing your team goals, you know, what do you guys want to accomplish, you know, what what do you want people to say about you, so how can we prepare for this and then looking at, uh, you know, off the court stuff too, I think getting involved in the community and, and doing so many other things there's just so much more to coaching now than the X's and O's
0: And you perfected it, Muffet McGraw Congratulations. What a remarkable career, and uh, we here at the Naismith are just so proud as a three-time Warner Ladder Coach of the Year, and just wanted to take uh, a few minutes of your time to salute you, uh, your program, your family, your kids, uh, everything. Uh, you've just been a great shining example for all of us in, in uh, this game uh, to what it, what it should be all about, and uh, I know you'll be around. So, we can't wait to see you sometime, but we are going to miss you on the sidelines. That's for sure.
1: Well, it's been an amazing journey. And I tell you, having the assistant coaches that I have been able to work with has been such a blessing and coached so many phenomenal women. So, now I'm looking forward to using that Warner ladder around the house. I'll be uh, cleaning up cutters and uh, doing some home projects. <laughs>
0: there you go. Muffet, thank you. All the best. Muffin, thank you very much. We can't wait to see you uh, sometime soon when this pandemic eases. We have a few news and notes to share with you this week. And speaking of women's basketball, the Women's Basketball Committee announced this week that they will start using the NCAA evaluation tool instead of RPI to evaluate teams for the tournament starting with the upcoming season. Now, the Division I Men's Committee has been using the net rankings since the 1819 season, so I wanted to share that with you. Also, the fact a friend of ours, Dan Butterly, is the new commissioner, of the big west conference want to send our congratulations along to dan i first got to know him when he was working in the missouri valley conference and he moves over to the big west after serving the mountain west as an associate commissioner for the past 21 years so congratulations to dan that'll do it for this week if you haven't already we would really appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and review your support makes a trophy life possible and feedback only goes to help us improve the show so thank you for that That's it for this week's edition. Thanks again to Coach McGraw, and thanks to you for downloading. We'll see you again next week. From Atlanta, Bob Rathbun saying so long.